All right, we're back with another episode, another podcast, another discussion. We're going to be keeping on this idea, uh, this topic of relating to Jesus. And there's, um, I know we've done, I think, one one episode on this so far, but there have been a lot of discussions in the background, both before and after we we hit the record button. So for those of you who might be new or don't know, Brian and I, we spend quite a bit of time talking about this stuff. Um, both before we start recording an episode and afterwards. And honestly, this these are things we've talked about for years in depth. And not only that, but these are conversations that are popping up in a lot of different areas, at least for me personally. And I know you've expressed the same thing, Brian. So this, this idea of relating to Jesus, and it's a topic that could take up a lot of time and, and go in a lot of different directions. But today what we want to do is kind of go through some of these questions that that naturally come up for most of us and things that we we all tend to think or 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 worry about when it comes to this idea of actually relating to Jesus. So that's what we're going to get into today. Brian is ready. He's got a fresh cup of coffee, I believe, as it's morning for him and late into the night for me. So Brian, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling really good. And it's been interesting um as we were talking before when we were getting onto this podcast of just what what are people thinking about this? And um, even people that have really developed this relationship with Jesus and God, one of them asked me, like, why do you have to do this? Like, people don't get it. Like, we can relate to him. That's, that's what he's here for. And just in the last couple of weeks, just talking to people, and you start narrowing it down, they, they don't. Like, they have this one, these little barriers that t- tend to pop up. And I know you were sharing a few... They had come up in a uh, in one of the services you were doing afterwards. They were they were sharing the reasons why they couldn't connect, and I was hoping maybe you could kind of throw some of those out there, and then we can just kind of go around those ideas. Yeah, at the uh, there's a Bible study that I do Wednesday nights, and this this topic came up, and so uh, some of the things that people brought up, and it was it was an awesome discussion because people were just honest about it. I was asking, why is it difficult for us to fully relate to Jesus? Or what are some of the barriers that we run into with that? And they'd mentioned things like, um, you know, he he always knew the future. And so there wasn't anything that really surprised him. There wasn't anything that was out of, uh, like, came out of left field and, and shocked him because he knew the future. So when he went to a town, he knew what he was going to do there. He knew the people he was going to heal. He could see them and look into the future. Um, things like he he never questioned his identity or his position as God's son because that he always knew that that's what he was. So from the moment he was born, because it was a, a supernatural birth, he had these memories of, oh yeah, I'm the son of God. And he never had to, to develop that whole thing. He had it all. He didn't have any lack or need because he could turn... Uh, rocks into bread or multiply bread and fish. He could turn water into wine. So he never really had any lack or any need. So, I mean, we can sometimes picture him as, you know, not being wealthy, but at the same time, if he needed to pay a bill or he needed a meal, he could just conjure it up. So he never really had to, um, like go through what it feels like to not know how you're going to pay your bills that month or not, or not know for sure, where your groceries are coming from. And so there's, there's, those were the main things that came up when, when we were looking at the barriers to how we relate to him. I think it's interesting how we get, get to that point. Like you have to be taught something in order to interpret it that way. I was hoping you could share that 
we were laughing earlier about when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in the response. Oh, and I man. think this kind of typifies that. It, it's so great. So <laughs> I, um, I was reading through this story again in John 11 of uh, when Jesus, uh, his friend Lazarus dies, and he waits a couple days, goes to town and, and brings him out of, of the grave. And it's, it's a story I've heard a million times, but at the very end, the last two verses kind of before it goes into a different story in verse uh, 45 and 46. So Jesus brings Lazarus, he calls him out of the tomb. He was dead for like four days, comes walking out. And then it says, many of the Jews who came and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. And it I started laughing when I read that because I'm picturing this in such a real sense. So you're Jesus, you're, you're by this, I'm picturing a mountain with a cave and a big stone in front of it. And there's a crowd of people around you, whether it's a few dozen or a hundred or whatever it is. And you literally call this dead man out of the grave. And some people are like, wow, this is really the son of God. This guy, look what we just saw. And then some people are, wow, we need to go tell. We need to go tell the Pharisees what just happened here because something's going on. So let, it was just the most hilarious thing to me when I'm picturing that because, I mean, that could happen right now. That could happen today where you have this incredible, amazing thing that happens right in front of your eyes. And you've got some people that just believe it and and accept it for what it is. And then some people that are just, well, well, what's really going on here? It's just incredible to me. Well, it's, I think what's interesting, that whole... that totally typifies the people did not believe he was the son of God. So it's interesting. Right. Our our argument is, well, I can't relate to him because he knows everything. He's God. He's he's from the beginning to the end. He's the, the If you've seen him, you've seen the father of the Old Testament. He comes back in the New Testament with flames of fire. And, and it's like, it's like these three different things, but it's all the same person. And here he's standing flesh and blood. And the people who met him could not believe he was God. Like, right. that was a challenge. So, hey, we got to get permission to believe this. I, I would say it's a little bit different. Uh, I, I think maybe, I mean, you, you tell me, do we put these theological, currently in our current day, put these theological arguments out there? Well, I can't relate to him because he knew everything. He did all this. Yet he says something in Scripture, and then we still go back and get our concordance out to make sure that's actually what he said. Then mm -hmm. we have doctrines to disprove that he's actually doing any of those things today. And so it's like, okay, if you're going to say, I can't relate to him because he is the Son of God, how about you just believe what he says then? Mm -hmm. So why don't we believe what he says if he's that? So this is what's funny, is like we have these weird arguments towards an aspect with him, but then there's other aspects we totally discount him. Like, oh, well, that's of that day. That's of that era. He's no longer doing that today. And nowhere does it say any of that. Like, how do we get to that point? I think one of the things that, that gets us there is we will look at this idea to say I can relate to Jesus, to say I can fully relate to him is to make myself equal with him. And, and I think what happens in the back of our minds is if I'm making myself equal with Jesus, that's blasphemy, that's wrong. And I, I would agree with that if you're making yourself that. But it's interesting that the Bible talks about how we have been brought into this place of being co-heirs. We didn't get there ourselves, but we were brought into that position through grace and through salvation. But it's also interesting that that's the exact same thing Jesus faced with the religious leaders of the day, because he accepted 
and stated that he was the son of God. And so to make, uh, to say that he'd be seated at the right hand of God was to make himself equal with God. And that was what they couldn't handle. So for that, they sought to kill him. And I think that same mindset is what kind of sticks in the back of our head. Well, I can't, I can't relate to him fully. I can't say that my identity is, is comparable to his or is the same as his because that's blasphemy and that's putting myself in a position where I don't belong. But I don't think it's putting yourself in that position to accept the gift that God the Father has given to you. I think that's the different thing, and that's my, that might be where the enemy twists it, is in our minds we think, well, if I'm putting myself in that position, then that's wrong. Well, yes, it is. But if the Father places you there, then it's actually wrong to not accept it, wouldn't you say? Do you, think, do you think that's really the real question, though? Do you think really it's it's more of, if I were to accept that, then I'm going to have to take some responsibility about myself and what I'm, how I'm viewing life and how I'm interacting? I, I love this verse in John uh, 12:42. It says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Mm-hmm. And I think this is very interesting. If you're to say to someone, like, like you're making this point, first of all, you don't have the position of Jesus. So at no point are we saying, you're the right. Savior of the world. We're saying he was made like his brethren. We're of his family, though. And so that's a that's a very different thing. And if you read John chapter 17, he's desiring that the same relationship he has with the Father is the same relationship you have with the Father, and he is now in you. And so he's creating this, this family. So we could spend all day showing it's not about your authority and your position, but you are part of his of his family, of his, of his kind, and he's wanting to make you into something more. But let's put all that aside for a minute for right, all of those things. Wait a second. Who gets to say, so you say, I have to be humble, that is too lofty for me, or I can't accept that. But then the question is, you're getting information from someone that is saying that can't be true, so why are you making that person God? Why are you saying they get to have the authority to tell you what you can or can't believe? Just an interesting question. I know that can be taken many different directions, but I think it needs to be addressed of who is your source of information to determine what you can believe and what you can't believe? I think that's part of the struggle. And I would, as, as a, to add on that, uh, and this might be splitting hairs terminology-wise, when I say position, I don't mean, as you said, we're not. I'm not the savior of the world, none of us are. I, I mean it more of in the context of when the scripture says we've been seated with him in heavenly places, and we are, we're co-heirs with Christ. So that that little caveat's important, because I don't want people out there, you know, thinking that I said something I didn't. But But to your point, that's an interesting thought, because what what your source is, is determining what information you're receiving, how you're interpreting that information, and how you're going to read the Bible itself. I mean, if you only if you only relate to or look at the disciples before um, you know before the Book of Acts, you could say before they received the Holy Spirit, you're going to get one impression of who they are, and you might relate to that. But if you never look at their lives afterwards and never try to relate to that, then then you're kind of you're kind of just 
looking at one side of things, an old side of things, because we, we've we been taught for some reason, well, I can sure relate to Peter because he always stuck his foot in his mouth. But are you going to also say, I can relate to Peter because he was a, a powerful speaker filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost? And I, I think there that's the habit for us. We're used to identifying with the flaws of people because that's what we've been taught to see in ourselves. That could be for a, a lot of different reasons. Are we going to speak, are we going to be like Peter who goes up to the the lame man sitting at the temple and says, silver and gold I don't have, but such as I do have, I'm going to give unto you. Such as I have, I'm going to give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I mean, that that's a pretty pretty bold statement. We'll say, well, that was Peter, he was an apostle. And I just find it interesting, every time there's something that has been given to us, and we look at an example of the use of it, or someone who also tapped into it, it becomes our old mindset to lower ourselves. But what you're doing is you're stripping yourself of a gift. You cannot be anything that's being talked about without him giving you a gift to be there. Grace can only bring you in there. But if you want to stay outside of that and just live lowly like you always did and just try to make it through and just try to make it, you can't do it. So now where does that leave you? I find it interesting in John chapter... Uh, 16, verse 13, Jesus says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you all things to come. And we could just go through verse after verse of what the Holy Spirit is your helper. You don't need another man to teach you. He wants to teach you. Now let me just clause. It doesn't mean we don't need teachers. But when you're connecting with what he's trying to do inside of you and try to bring that out, I think this is the bigger piece. And we could see this in every realm of life. And I know now that we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about the Spirit of God, then people, uh, there's this tendency to classify that as spiritual matters. But what about real life? Hey, I still got to live in real life. So what are the six steps for me to live in real life? And have you, how do you look at that? How do you address that? Well, I think that's, part of the disconnect is we are looking for the step-by-step instruction manual for what we're supposed to do, and we can't relate to Jesus because he didn't need that, but we do need that in our minds, and so there's a disconnect. But I think that is a faulty assumption. We're starting from the wrong thing. We're assuming that he walked around as if he was a robotic, like, step-by-step answer kind of machine, like a spiritual machine, to where he didn't have to confront a situation deal with the emotions of that situation, and then make a decision on what to do and how to proceed and what to say, what not to say, or what to do, or what not to do. But going back to that story in John 11, that's one of the most interesting events for me because the, the depth of emotion that he confronts when he's facing, when he actually gets to, um, gets to the city and is facing the death of Lazarus. There's a depth of emotion there that you don't have if you're just this lofty, only spiritual being floating through, always knowing what you're going to do. Like that, that emotion doesn't exist unless you are absolutely human and you can't prepare for that emotion in the moment. Like anyone who's lost a loved one knows that you can't logically prepare for that moment. You can't. And we, saw that with, we saw that with John the Baptist when John the Baptist dies. He was grieved and he went away. 
He went right. into the wilderness. So we see him dealing with what it felt like to lose someone that was so close to him. Right. And and so I think if if he was this, you know, I, I want to use the right terms here, but if he was this lofty spirit being hovering over a thing, just looking into the future, like he's trying to analyze a situation and move the right pieces across the board to get the desired outcome, then he's not going to have these emotions. He's not going to have these deep, intense things where he's confronted with something that he hasn't confronted before, and it hits him. That, to me, is so real. If 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 I'm looking at him from a an older mindset, then I would expect him to just, you know what, here's the situation, let's move on. I already know what's going to happen, especially with Lazarus. He says, this isn't going to end in death. So he knows that going in, but he still gets hit with that emotion in the moment. That, to me, makes it very real. And I, I wanted to kind of... Well, and actually, if you really read that story, when he wept over Lazarus, he said he prayed out loud over Lazarus to his father, and then he says, I'm only praying this so that the people can hear me interacting with you. Mm-hmm. I am not convinced he wept because Lazarus was dead. I think he wept that people wouldn't believe in who he was, because he yes. already said he was, he, was, he was coming back for him. So I, I think sometimes... And I think this is important of this whole idea of relating to him or relating to everything in Scripture. I think we need to take an honest assessment. Am I viewing whatever I'm reading from the state of position where I'm at? Or am I reading it from the position he wants me to see and how he wants me to actually view it? Because that's where we're changed. Our, ma- our imaginations, how you imagine yourself, how you imagine your world, how you perceive your world is how you filter the truths about what you receive and what you don't receive. If you've been victimized, if you've had a rough life, you will tend to have a little bit more of a different kind of perception when you see a certain action. But if you've seen someone that was like a, like an athlete and had tough coaches and worked through it, they'll take that information differently. And so the reality of what you're reading has everything to do with your perception of what that subject is or what that idea is. So with that thought, and I wanted to get your perspective on this, one of the things people brought up in in the disconnect of relating is Jesus didn't have to go through living a life of sin and then be saved and rescued like we have. And because of that, it's difficult to relate or he can't fully relate to us because, you know, for some people I was talking to in this group, they've been addicts for years for decades, and they're just getting sober. They're just realizing uh, who God is as a father, who Jesus is. And some people have been, you know, further on in that journey. There's some people in this group that have been Christians for decades and grown up in the church, but every single person has had to have that moment, that come to Jesus moment where they were saved. They had to live a life of sin, you could say, and then be saved. And because Jesus, and and this is one of the ways that they... Um, that they expressed it. He showed up on the earth already perfect, already not having committed sins. And he never had to go through this idea of committing sins. So because of that, it's difficult to relate to him. Well, it's funny. Hebrews says, you've not yet strived against sin to the shedding of blood. I think sometimes we say we can't relate to him because he doesn't know what it's like to be, whether you're an addict or you're, you know, some of those the, the bigger ideas that as a society we're trying to work through. But 
I, I think in a way we never we just gave into it. We didn't resist it. <laughs> Try resisting that. Like, okay, so you're an addict. Now just don't do it anymore. Think think about what that's like. Like you're like, you gotta be kidding. I like this is my whole problem. I can't. Now you have someone that could or did. Is there not other people on this earth that resisted it? Is there not other people that had worse situations that they overcame it, but they went a different direction with that? So I, I don't think those are fair arguments because if you look at Jesus when he he's in the he's in the wilderness being tempted. So here's the idea of the word tempt. The word tempt means as James defines it, being drawn away by your own lusts and enticed. So your old nature, what's in you, your 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 fleshly fallen nature, uh, maybe not fallen nature, but in your in your flesh, in your natural being, there's just things that are constantly trying to draw you away. That that's just the that's where the fall of man is. So it says when he goes into the wilderness, he was tempted. Now, the God in James, he also says, no one can say he when he is tempted, he's tempted by God, because God does not tempt any man, neither does he, and, and he doesn't use evil to do it. He's not in, in a position of tempting you. So you have a tempter. So when he's going and bringing him in, he has to face the tempter. This is where we should be identifying with him. How did you resist that? So when he's going 40 days, he is wanting, he's having to resist going into it, or it's not a temptation. I mean, what a waste of passage of scripture to say he was tempted in the wilderness, but yet he just knew all things and he was just going to breeze through it. He didn't. He had to go face all this stuff, and he won, but it was deep. Then go into the Garden of Gethsemane. He's asking his Peter, James, and John and his disciples, will you please tarry with me for one hour? And he is warring over this decision to the point where he's sweating great drops of blood. I don't know anybody that's gone to that level, as even Hebrew said, of resisting the enemy. And everything was about his position, who he was. If you're the son of God, do this. This is what you are as a son of God. And I think it's a lot because we don't know who we are, so we don't know what we're resisting against. So there's a lot of factors we could break down from that. But you cannot say he didn't experience what you experienced because he went through far worse of an experience. It's just that he navigated that out and he went through the pain of navigating that out. We give up and don't go through the pain of navigating it out in a natural way. Therefore, this is how we've become enslaved to this. So now we need a redeemer. But... I don't. I struggle with that idea that we can't relate, or he never felt that. He grieved. He got hungry. He got tired. He got uh, worn out from the people. He it, there's all those things going on with him. He had to resist. He he had to um, constantly stepped into the face of mankind who did not want to believe in him. He constantly was under scrutiny. He was constantly ridiculed. He he was constantly rejected. He was constantly, I mean, you just start adding up the list and you might say, well, see, because that was Jesus. No, it was because he had the Holy Spirit and something else was guiding him, bringing him perspective in the midst of those situations that he gave to us. So do you think that's, that's more an indication of him actively 
having the relationship with the Spirit after he's baptized, I think we talked about in the last episode, maybe not, but him receiving the Spirit in that moment, or or having whatever whatever opinion people have on that, do you think all of those things are more an aspect of him walking on that journey, confronting things with the Spirit, or him knowing how things are going to go with this idea of knowing the future? So he already knows how it's going to end up, so it's easier to walk through a difficult journey when you know how things are going to end up. So whether it's, um, yeah, I know this temptation in the wilderness or these 40 days in the wilderness are going to be hard. I'm going to be really hungry, but I know that after 40 days, there's going to be the tempter that comes and I'm going to defeat him and then I'll be fed again. So it's easier to go through that if you know what's going to happen at the end. Or And if that's the case, does that kind of give him like a bit of a a bit of a trump card because it's like you're not really going through the doubt of the moment if you already know that okay 40 days I'll be fine oh 38 more days okay just 20 more days okay just two more days you know what i mean it, it just then he would be lying in other places i think the moment we come up with that kind of perspective you're calling him a liar somewhere else and so and again, I'm going to make the point, if he was all those things and that's your deep belief, how about you just believe believe what he tells you to do then? How about when he says, don't worry? Are you guys still worried? So those that say, I can't relate to him because he never worried, but yet he's telling you, know he's God and he knows all things and he's telling you, don't worry. Why are you still worrying? If, if, he, if he's all God and we can't relate to him and he's just God, no humanity, never experienced anything, and don't let me... I don't want to neglect the idea. He is all God and all man. So I'm not trying to split the two apart, but no matter which way you take that argument, it's still going to come back on you if you really believe that about him. And he says, I want to send you the comforter and he wants, and I want a relationship with you in the same way that the father loves me. I love you. Why do we keep wondering about the security of that relationship? We can also go as, as far as, think about, don't worry about tomorrow. Think about, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. I know you have need of those things. So then why are we saying, well, I have to struggle with work, and I have to struggle with my family, and I have to... He just got done telling you not to, not to seek something different. So if you know that he's all God and not human, and he knows all things, and just go, okay, I'm going to go after you then. So no matter how you want to take that, it's still going to come down to the point we're still trying to measure what we can do by what we are. And that is a big problem because you're always going to find a reason why you are stuck in the place that we're at. So no matter which way you want to take that, you're, you're still have to come back and deal with, this is what I am. I need a savior and I need to connect into something different. And it still comes back to that point. I think that brings up an interesting question that you've got to ask yourself at the start of it all is what are you looking for? Why are you asking these questions? And well, the questions are fine, but why are you asking these questions? Why are you wondering or why are you bringing these, I guess, roadblocks between, well, I can't relate to Jesus because why like what do you what are you after are you really just after man i, I just want to know god i want to know who i am well because if that's the case then like you said let's listen to what he says about you so if that's your desire let's listen and read 
and believe what he actually says about you and who you are right now. But if you're just looking for an excuse as to why you can feel disconnected, then you're going to find that. Like, and it, it probably won't matter how much information gets thrown at you. If you're looking for a reason to be disconnected and to keep yourself in this, I guess, lower cycle of, well, I'm trying, but I'm not Jesus. So, you know, what can you expect from me? Then, then you've already kind of got your answer played out. And now you're just looking for things that'll justify it. Yeah, I guess it'd be kind of like going to the Pharisees to say, hey, this just happened in my life. What do you think? And then we have some man try to interpret what God just did. And, and of course, you're going to be lost in that. Well, that's, I think that's the, that was an intentional system they had set up at the time. It was, all right, we are the religious leaders. We've got, we're, we're closer to God. We've got a better, uh, we've got a better understanding of what God says, what his will is, what the scriptures say. So bring stuff to us and we can tell you what to think. And it's tough because like you said earlier, the spirit gives people the gift of teaching. There are teachers, there are pastors, there are leaders, and they're there for a reason. And so I think it's tough at times to kind of sort out, okay, what is what is me looking to a leader or a pastor or a teacher for their wisdom, their perspective, and their advice versus when is it me just trying to outsource my decision-making and outsource my spirituality to another person because I've got them on some pedestal above me, you know? And in fairness to that, we're coming off a, a little bit at the beginning trying to address these questions in a manner of a lot of times these questions are just reasons why it's not going to work. And I, I think some of that needs to be broken in our in our head a little bit. But on the flip side, I have total compassion to this whole idea because I get it. I, I get what it's like to be in a situation. It's like no one relates to me. Like I'm right. Has anybody ever been there before? It's like, Jesus, do something. Help me. Like, I, I don't even know how to, to see through this. But isn't that really the, the key question that we're looking for is, can you open my eyes to see? Open my eyes to see what's going on. And and I think that's really what the bigger battle is. So even as we're coming, there's a little bit of these these it, these reasons don't have a whole lot of validity. They're just, we can you can man, man make anything to move someone away from believing something. And I think the reason it was important that we were doing this podcast about how do we connect with Jesus is my deeper reasoning to connect is not from a natural point, not just even from an idea that um, a theological view of who you actually are now. I don't, I think my, my, my deeper passion is that you can connect to him because he knows how to trigger your heart. That is really the bigger piece with me. Did you know he's funny? Jesus has an amazing sense of humor. He totally relates when you're sad, but he, he tends to approach us in a way that takes us off guard. You know, like when you're with your kid and they're just, they, they got locked into the slump and they just will not let go of the bad news, whatever the thing was. And it's just bad news to them. They will not let go of it. You can't talk them out of that. They, 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 nobody gets how miserable it was that they can't go to their friend's house at three. They got to wait till eight o'clock and they're just in the slump. 
right? I'm making that up. I haven't really experienced that aspect, but sometimes that's how trivial this slump gets. And so if you keep trying to address it from that same perspective of persuading them out of the slump, have you ever noticed that the slump actually gets worse and it gets worse and then they find more reasons? Like now they're going to hold on to their slump. You are not going to change their mood because they chose to be mad. But then when something out of the blue, unrelated comes in and all of a sudden they like, something triggers and they forget about everything they're in the slump and now they're back off into something happy or they're, they're, they, they have a new perspective, they have a new way of looking at that. Sometimes in order to change your perspective, we have to get off of the track that we're in and be moved over. And Jesus was a master of changing the track. And I want you to catch this. And so he was a master of changing the track. You know what I'm talking about with your kids or just mm-hmm. in anyone? Like oh, yeah. they're just so focused. I can't make it. I can't make it. Look at the problem. And, and all of a sudden you start talking about uh, squirrels over here. And if you can make that squirrel super funny and they're over there pretty soon, they're chasing the squirrels. And all of a sudden they kind of were lifted enough, said, okay, now can we turn around and look what you were just looking at? And they're like, okay, yeah, I guess it's not as big of a deal as I so was making true. it. Right? Yep. And, it, and it's hilarious. Kids are very easy to do this. It's much harder to do that with adults. But adults do the same thing. We, uh, it's so funny. I actually did this tonight with my daughter. She dropped a toy on her on her foot and on her toe. And so there was a little scrape on her toe. And she was she was already exhausted from the day. It was bedtime. And so she's just already done emotionally. And so she's just weeping and crying and can't even get the words out correctly. And I brought a Band-Aid in. She wanted a Band-Aid for it. And I made a joke about putting the Band-Aid on her nose. And it was like a switch flipped. And she just, she started laughing about it. Like, you can't put a Band-Aid on my nose. And then a few seconds later, she looked back at the toe and like, okay, it goes on here. So let's put it on. And she was still, she was still a bit distraught, but it was, it was like night and day difference because this something just refocused her to where she was looking at it differently. Well, I just had it too. Like my son, we, we were building a, um, he saved up Christmas money and got a 3D printer. So we were putting it together and he did a great job. Actually, we weren't putting it together. He put together the whole deal and got it all ready to plug in, plugged it in, and something was off. There was a wire done wrong, so it wasn't quite in the right sink. And he looked on the back of the power box and he flipped the one, the, 220, the 230 to the 115. Out it went. And he didn't, he's really good with all this stuff, but he, we just don't deal with power supplies because they're usually always set to a 230 living in Asia, not to the 115. Well, this device could be used in either places and there's a switch on the back. He just thought the switch needed to go a different direction. So he did and he didn't realize it was going to blow out the power supply. And so I walk in and, because I had offered to help him. And I knew right when I walked in, I just said, did you flip the switch on the back? And you could just tell, like, he didn't know how to feel. So it was like, I just spent all my money, built this, I just destroyed it. And there was a little bit of, because a couple times I went in to help, he's like, no, I got it, I got it, I want to do it, I got it, just go, go, I'll, I'll, I got it. And he did a great job. <laughs> and then you make a mistake, now I'm here I have a choice to make. Do I let him know how dumb he was for not listening to me and he should have had me there the whole time, right? Or 
reminding him of his failure. Well, I guess you're out. There goes that. I guess you're going to have to save up again and get a new one. And so I remember in that moment, I was just thinking, God, how would you deal with me? But more importantly, how do you deal with David? And so I just calmed down. I said, well, let's just pull the thing apart. So we undid the whole box. We were looking for any burn marks. I already knew it was fried. Um, I said, let's just walk through it. All right, so what happened? This happened. And I just kept my voice calm and did not have any response to what happened. It's just a problem sitting in front of us, and let's navigate it. So I said, hey, why don't we check online? Maybe let's just look and see what, if a power supply, maybe there's a fuse on here that blew. So we were just kind of walking through that whole thing, and he was down. It, it, you could tell he was just really deeply disappointed at the whole process. So I said, well, I guess the only thing we could do is just order a new power supply and chase it back. And then we went online. We found some other power supplies had gone out, and we found a place to order a new power supply. And so we did, and went back to my office and was working. He came in later. And when I first met him at this moment, he just was like, I'm done with the whole thing. I'm done. Like, it, it was, it really kind of hit him. And it wasn't that like he was quitting. He just... It really disappointed him. Then he came in later to the office and he said, you know, Dad, Edison learned 9,900 ways not to make a light bulb. We're just one step further into knowing how. And I know for many of you, oh, that's just being lighthearted. You know, it, it was a transition in him. And that was the position he needed to get to. And so as a father, I had to figure out what is the way that David can see through this the best and win and have a new outlook look on it. And I think this only comes, like Jesus is a master of this. And this is why I keep trying to make this point of relating to Jesus. He totally gets it. Like he gets it. He knows how to connect to the heart. And I think that is, that's what we want from him is, yeah. do you know me enough to know what would trigger me to a different direction out of my mindset, because that is what we need the most. And if we don't think he cares about that, it's not so much even how much we connect to him. The deeper, real deeper issue is, do we let him connect to us? And do we trust how he connects to us? I think that's probably the bigger question in all this. Yeah, I think that that's when, when you get down to it, the specific issue in front of you isn't really the main thing. That's not really the the giant. Like, okay, did Jesus ever get tempted to smoke? Or was he ever tempted to be an alcoholic? That's not really what we're asking. What what most people are really wanting to know is... Well, but you can go to that, you can go to that further. Why are people tempted to, to do those things? Well, exactly... He was, temp he was tempted with the why to go do those things. He may never have done those things, but he was tempted with the why to go do those things, and he could have easily gone that direction. That's the underlying issue. And, it's so, and even with that, it's not, it's not, okay, can I find a place where he was tempted with the same specific thing so that I can say the same words? It's what was, what was his source? for approaching those things, for dealing with that why. Because if you have that in common, if you can share that 
here's my source. Here's how I deal with things that are the why behind the things that are coming up in front of me. And you and I have talked about this at length with with people that we've uh, dealt with that are going through problems. It's not it's not really this specific issue in front of you. There's something behind it. There's a motive. There's something that it's after, and that's what we've got to deal with. And so if we can understand the same source that Jesus had, the same way he walked with the Spirit and looking at God as his Father, now we can ask that question, which is what you asked in that story. Who are you to me? How would you approach this with me, God, but more so with him? Well, and if we understand his main motive is he wants a relationship with us. And so he knows how to connect. We don't know how to connect with him. So then he provides Jesus and he lives the way we do. And he has to know the Father and he has to live by the Spirit and he has to be uh, instructed and he has to grow in it and he has to do all those things. It's more, it, it was critical because then he truly knows you. He knows what you feel like. He knows what you're going through. He knows how you're handling it. He, he knows those things, not from a judgmental place of how it should be done perfectly, but from that place of having to live from that place where you're at and moving to another place. He knows that. And I think that is the bigger barrier is, do we trust he knows my heart enough to take me from point A to point B because I will tell you this, you, he's the, the most ultimate counselor. We can go spend hours in counseling, and I'm, I'm not saying it's, 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 it's good, but I'm saying we've been given something that actually connects with us. This is why we like counseling, is someone sitting there connecting with how we're feeling, connect, bringing perspective and all those things, and we need each other for that. But there's something even greater because that's what he came pro to provide, especially when he calls the Holy Spirit the counselor. He's the healer, and I think where he wants us is go to him first and then let him guide us into all those other tools that will open our heart, because he knows. He knows the type of people we need around us. He knows who's going to be the help, best help to unlock what's going on, and so we, we miss something when we, we don't have that connection piece or we don't trust that connection piece. <clears throat> If we can lighten this up a little bit, though, it's kind of getting, it's getting a little bit, <laughs> you know, I, we talk about him being funny. The, I think one of the biggest challenges, everything we deal with when it comes to spirituality is usually the big life heavies, yeah. provision, uh, my focus, my purpose, dealing with sin, dealing with the environment, the world I'm in, all these things. It's always the heavy stuff. But I, he said, we're supposed to come into the kitchen kingdom as a child. I don't think a child has any heavy thing on their mind. They're just, let's explore. Let's play. Uh, I want that. I want this. Like it, it's, they're in a whole different paradigm. And that's where he wanted us to come into and meet with him. So here's, he's on the road to Emmaus. This is the most hilarious story. It's in Luke 24, 13. It is, it is such a funny story. And Jesus is, these two disciples are walking down uh, the road, on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus had just died. Uh, there was witnesses that when uh, the two, when Mary, um, Mary's go to the, the, the tomb, he's not there. Peter comes, sees the tomb is empty. 
And now it flashes into this scene. These two disciples are walking down the road. And they're just, they're, they're grieved. They basically gave up their entire life. They, the one they believed in is now dead. And they walked with Jesus. They lived with him for three years, probably. And they knew him. They knew him as Jesus the man. Jesus the prophet. Jesus the, the miracle worker. Jesus the one sent by God. And Jesus comes up, says he's walking down the road, and he drew near and went with them. So we don't know how long he was like walking alongside of them, but it says that their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. So I could just see him deeply in this conversation trying to rationalize where do we go from here? What about now? What, what's the world going to look like? You know, and they're, 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 they're processing through us, and Jesus is kind of slid up alongside of them on the road. And he looks over and he says, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? What's going on here? Why are you guys so sad? And they look at him, it's like, and the, and the next thing he says, are you a stranger? Were you not here? When, didn't you know what just happened? The man Jesus. And then they describe him. He was a prophet, mighty, for, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. And we were hoping that it was him who was going to redeem Israel. I want you to catch this. These men walked with Jesus and they couldn't see him as God. We walk with Jesus and can't see him as a man. They couldn't see anything different. But we don't see the other side of that. And so he asks them, he goes, so what things happen? Like, this is like the most hilarious little story of him just <laughs> playing with them. Like, so what's really going on? And I see it so much of when we deal with kids, just like we were given those examples of you're putting the Band-Aid on the, your daughter's nose. Like, no, I got this big problem. Well, should I put it on your nose? He's doing this. Like, he's totally distracting this situation. And you might say... Doesn't Jesus care about the pain? Why didn't he just come in there and comfort them, right? Like the great shepherd, and he had his robe on, and he opened his arms, and he says, Sons, it's me. Don't <laughs> worry your little head anymore. I am right. still here. No, he totally... He have a lot of these and thous in it, though, yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, he's just hilarious. And, and it's like, how? why are you mocking them? But he wasn't. He was trying to get to their heart. He had to get them out of a thinking that was taking place. So he goes a different direction. So one, the people thought he was going to redeem them from Rome and save Israel from Rome. So they're looking at him to be a natural deliverer in that moment. Two, they called him a prophet. So they knew he was from God, but they didn't see him as the son of God. They did miracles in his name. They did all this stuff, but they did not see him as the son of God. And had he just shown up in bodily form in the way they wanted, it wouldn't have changed their hearts. I think people don't get this. God is so much after your heart, more than your head. So he has to go to a place to reconnect your heart. And I want you to see how Jesus is relating to them. And so he goes on. And then they go and describe how the, the certain women of our company, they went in the tomb and it wasn't there, he wasn't there. 
And Jesus said to them, oh, foolish ones. And, and you can so read that like, you foolish ones, don't you know? Like, it wasn't this, condi- he's being playful this whole entire time. And he says, oh, you foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. What did Jesus take them back to? The words that were spoken about him. And this is what's really critical. The moment the word feels like it's condemning you, it's like he comes in the natural and refreshes you into his perspective. But once you don't believe the word anymore, it's like he comes back and brings back to life because you can't separate him. It, it, it's why it's a real disadvantage when people say the Old Testament, well, that's all gone now. Now it's just Jesus. He's still the prophetic view of that whole Old Testament. The same God of the Old Testament is being mirrored in the New Testament. So what's changed? Has he changed? Not in a bit. He says, I'm the beginning and the end. I've never changed. So Jesus has never changed from the beginning to the end. His form changed. What he had experienced changed. But the person who he was, his his essence never changed in all that time. And I know what someone just said out there. See, he's all God. I get it. But if you keep going, you're going to find this different perspective here. And then he goes on to say, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? Man, they watched the pain he went through. They watched the agony. They watched, he was brutalized to the point that you could not recognize that man. It, it they, they were traumatized. Basically, this is almost like a PTSD moment. They were traumatized over this thing. And so it says the begin at the and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he's telling them who Jesus is from the scriptures. All the Old Testament writings. He was showing this is Jesus. This is Jesus. This had to happen. This had to happen. See in this scenario this had to happen. This had to happen. This had to happen. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. So Jesus is just going to keep on going down the road, and they're like, no, you got to come in with us to eat. And he goes, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm heading off. I mean, just think about that. He, he's not like even trying to coddle them. He's trying to connect their true heart of what they believed to who he is. And he's going to keep going. They said, no, you got to come. So they go in, they sit down, and... It came to pass as they sat at the table, he looked, he took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. So Jesus did all these events to reconnect their heart back to who he was because their head was starting to rationalize all of this stuff. This is so important. There's a lot of times Jesus is trying to connect with us but we're trying to do it from that rational head. And then there's things he's drawing us away on. And we're like, what does that have anything to do with my problem? But he's trying to get your heart connected back to believe. And this is the most humorous part. And their eyes were open and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. Now he just disappeared. I mean, just who does stuff like that? That is a humorous God that is so interested in connecting with us that he used his naturalness, 
his spiritualness, his who he is in the word, who he is in the natural, who he was when he broke the bread. They remembered the breaking of the bread when they were at the last. He used every aspect naturally, spiritually, historically, prophetically to reconnect their heart. And then he vanishes. That's crazy. It is. And what I love about that story is how how he just kind of humanly brings himself into that story. And like it's not this, like you said, it's not this big booming entrance of my disciples, I am here for you. Let me speak to thee in, in thine own words. He's just walking around like, hey guys, what's up? What are you talking about? Oh, okay. And he, he just starts talking about things, talking about what's on their mind. And we, I mean, I wonder how often we're we're expecting a different kind of experience when when we're in our relationship with God. We're only expecting the burning bush. We're only expecting the voice from heaven with the dove descending. We're only expecting like this uh, Paul road uh, uh, to Damascus experience with this loud thundering voice. We're only expecting those things. We're never expecting him to relate to us by walking along the same street on the same road as us and just chatting and saying, hey, what's up? Like, and not, not, not from like a expect angels when you're walking towards target kind of, not from, not from that, but look at how he wants to relate to you. It's not just these, these monumental billboard like events. He's wants to just walk alongside you and say, what are you talking about? What's going on? Isn't that absolutely human? And he had this like carefree attitude. He loved these guys, but he was carefree. He was full of joy. Like, He's not, hey guys, uh, can, let's lighten up because you already know the truth about this. Like, you're losing sight of what you actually know and believe to something that is being lost in just your natural sight. And there's, he's, there's a lightheartedness that is warm, and look how they wanted him to come. And so after, after he leaves there, those disciples run back to the 11, and they go tell him what just happened. And this is what's amazing, is when they were telling the story, he goes, he began reading the scriptures from Moses, and he started revealing himself, and our hearts burned inside of us. What captured their hearts? These words that came alive, that were written thousands of years ago, those were the words that captured their heart. And that's what Jesus wanted to get to, is that there was something concrete. He said, listen, you don't need something fresh. You just need the things that have been spoken to come alive on the inside of you. So it says their hearts burned within them. That's what Jesus was trying to do, is get them back to believing what they know, what is true, because that's what would change them. And then, this is funny, so he's telling them all this. It says, and they told them the things that had happened to him on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace be to you. This is <laughs> hilarious. He, they, all of a sudden, Jesus just shows up out of nowhere in the middle of their group. This, and, can you imagine? Hey, guys peace with you like like <laughs> it's all good guys here i am like th this this moment right but what brought that about he didn't have to persuade these two he didn't need to reappear what happened in 
what they had known and what they had read and what had been revealed about who Jesus was in the writings, that was enough. That's what caused their heart to burn. So then he does this. It says, but they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. I want you to catch this. When we make Jesus so spiritual that we can't relate to him anymore, it really does provoke a fear. You don't want anyone that had an encounter with a spirit of God or, or an angel of God or, or, something, or something that isn't of our natural realm, it caused deep fear and frightened them. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt, why does doubt arise in your heart of what you're seeing right now? Isn't it interesting? We've made Jesus so spiritual we can't connect his humanity. They knew him in his humanity and now he's a spirit and it's, 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 it's warping, it, it's causing a problem. Behold, my hands, my feet, it's me. Hey guys, it's me. Here, come and grab my arm. And he tells them to touch him. I'm flesh and bone. I'm right here. I'm not a spirit. I'm spirit. I'm spirit, but I'm also flesh. I am still me. This is me. I want you to catch that. They could relate to him in spirit and in the truth and his naturalness. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still did not believe for joy and marveled. Now, this it's not saying they didn't believe him anymore. They were so filled with awe and joy. They, they, they were in a state of, I don't even know what to think right now, but my heart is going crazy. The one I love, the one I've been with, this is him. He's right here. So that's what it's saying in that, in that point. And he said to them right after this that they're sitting there and marveling at him, you guys got any food? I'm kind of hungry. It's been a long journey. No, he just says, I have any food. But I'm just, hey, guys, you got any food? I mean, whatever their playfulness was together as disciples when joking, I, I think some of those tones and those thoughts and those things all came out of out in this. Hey, you got any food? I, and I kind of, this could just be my thing, but I kind of look at that as a callback to where he was after the woman at the well and the disciples come to him and they... And he says, I have food that you don't know about. And they say, well, who give you food? I look at this as like a callback to that, where he's like, hey, you got anything to eat? It's just so cool. Isn't it, though? I mean, look at this personality. Look who Jesus is. Look what he's doing. He's showing his spirit. He's showing his natural. He's showing who he is in the word, that he is the word of God. So we can now know he is the word. And he's a spirit. And he's flesh. Like, he's, he's revealing all these pieces to them. And this is really great. It says, They gave him a piece of broiled fish, some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. This is why it's important. And this also shows for those that say, Well, the Old Testament isn't for today. Yeah, the, the, the letter of the Old Testament isn't for today, but all the spirit of the Old Testament is absolutely relevant for today. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scripture. And the Holy Spirit says, there is a, in, Paul says there is a veil over their eyes. And when the spirit of the Lord comes, he removes that veil so we could see what was really there. 
This is amazing because it changes everything. We get to know him in the Old Testament, and he's as great there as he was here, not the blinder and and what we viewed in the past. So after he did this, he said to them, it is written that it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You guys are witnesses of these things. And behold, before I send you though, go to Jerusalem, I'm going to send you the promise. The promise that throughout history, mankind has waited for is the Spirit of God. So my Spirit will be in you, you and me, us and the Father, will be one, and you get to go and be me and understand all these things. Like, this is just the, the, the greatest thing. And so after he blessed them, they worshiped together, and it says that he parted from them and he was carried up into heaven. Like all of a sudden now he goes back up into heaven. So he's all natural, all spirit, all word, all being revealed all in that same, that, that same moment. I just think this is a powerful idea, and he did it so humorously. I, I just wish we could have video to capture the faces when all this stuff was taking place. <laughs> It was amazing, but he caught their heart. He re-engaged their heart back into why they were what they were. I think that ties it all up really well, because the whole point is he's after the heart of someone. He's not after their their checklist or their logic of, okay, well, I did these things that I had to do that were prophesied about me, so now I'm done. Bye. He comes back and he relates to them on their heart to open their eyes to see what's going on. And he does it as absolutely in a human way. He doesn't do it as some floaty spirit of an ascended body that's glowing and has like gold pixie dust falling off of it. He shows up as a human being because that's ultimately the only way you can relate to him because shockingly, we're all human beings. And so if he's not, we can't relate to who or what he is. And I think that's why he he demonstrates these things in such a human way, because he's like, guys, I am, I am a human too. I'm a person too. I'm like you. You are like me. And this is what is happening now to us. And man, from that perspective, it's it's such a different outlook on on his life. When I go back and read miracles or stories of him interacting with people and talking with people, it's such a different thing now because now I'm connected to his heart and I'm not looking at some like historical figure that did things that I can never relate to. It's just such a different aspect. And I hope for everybody listening, you guys are starting to see that perspective too. Um, we, we might do another episode or two of this topic because this is so cool. I don't know, Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I think I want to take it to how do we, how do we put this into more of our day to day function and, what does this mean for us like in, in just daily life and, and how does that look? And maybe just take this, the more this becomes normal, and how do we play with him? Like, how do we as kids, when you play with your father or your mother, that's how you get to know them. Like, you don't even know what they're saying when you're one year, two years old. They, it's just mumbling, but they know your voice and they start watching you and you, you watch a little kid watch their parent. They're watching them, how they walk and how they move across the room. What are they doing? They're learning all those things. So how do we make that more relevant and how how do we let God better connect with our heart to reveal aspects of himself to us that takes us to the next place, but putting this into some practical realities? 
Well, that's going to do it for this one, everybody. Thanks for tuning in as always. Um, and for all of our new listeners, uh, if you guys are, if you guys are new, I recommend that you go back and listen to uh, a few episodes before this one to kind of get more of a context of what's brought us to this conversation, um, our motive for everything and, and our perspective on stuff. We appreciate you guys listening in until next time, stay in the fight.